Let us pray together. Dear God, once we are, once again, we're here together. Asking for a fresh view of our lives from your word. And so we ask for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit now so that we might discover and become more fully who we really are, your living and breathing body of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Back in the 1990s, Danette and I returned to the church after an eight-year absence. And maybe I should say barely returned, since when we came back to church, we'd always sit in the very back row of the church, and then right before the preacher got up to give the benediction, we'd slip out the door. That was in a Presbyterian church in Charlottesville, Virginia. And let me tell you, hearing the gospel again, hearing about Jesus was exciting. But it was also terrifying and overwhelming. And it was months before we felt brave enough actually to stay in the church and to talk with people, actually talk with people after that benediction. But eventually, the magnet of God's love was so powerful that we were drawn in. We were drawn in and able to overcome our initial feelings of ecclesiophobia. Maybe some of you have had that illness before as well. I won't show, have a show of hands. Church phobia. Well, after we started attending that church in Charlottesville, Virginia... I paid absolutely no attention. I had no interest in how that church actually functioned and worked. I just came to church and I assumed that the greeters would be at the door waiting for me. I assumed that that furnace would be firing up every winter. I assumed that the music would be downright heavenly and the worship always inspiring. But then eventually, I did start to feel that, well, you know, maybe I should sometimes contribute something to this vibrant congregation. And so that's when I decided, when the offering plate came down the row, that I would drop in a $5 bill. And every couple months, that's what I did. And I assumed that the church quite naturally would be fully funded now for all of its ministries, Sheldon. <laughs> well, you know, needless to say, I was in for a bit of an education about how the church actually works. And later on, when I became a pastor, I discovered that there's almost nothing in a well-working, flourishing church that just happens by accident. And here at East Chestnut, my education has continued. 
as I've witnessed a steady stream of folks coming here, not just on Sunday morning, but from Monday to Saturday in between, coming to fold bulletins or to pay our bills, coming to create worship visuals and, and to plan a peace event, coming to carol for our neighbors or, or to put up that sign over the front entrance with our theme verse, coming to set up our communion table or to get ready for a community meal, coming to fix our furnace, thank you Herb, or shoveling snow as I've heard that our dear brother Paul did for so many years. Perhaps the most important thing that I've learned is that while many of these things on their own seem kind of insignificant, they are all essential to the proper functioning and the flourishing of our congregation. And so for this reason, one of the things that impressed me most when I came here to East Chestnut Mennonite Church to interview, and it was almost a year ago exactly, right around February 5, I think, what impressed me most was running into Patricia Heyman at work down in our kitchen. Remember that? Because by then I knew that no church can ever flourish without devoted people like Pat. And in fact, where are you, Patricia? Are you here? There you are. You were one of the first signs that God was calling my family to this church. I invite you now to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12. Now the New Testament offers a whole beautiful kaleidoscope of images to describe the church, the family of God, the new humanity, the bride of Christ. But there's probably no other image that is more prominent and more treasured by us as Anabaptists than the image of the church as the body of Christ. It's central in our reading today from 1 Corinthians 12, and it's also found in Colossians, in Ephesians, and in Romans. Now, have you ever wondered, where did this image come from? Some people speculate that it comes from Paul's experience all the way back at his conversion on the road to Damascus. Because it's on that road that Paul learns that in persecuting the church, he's not just persecuting the church, he's persecuting Jesus. Jesus in that vision says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? 
And so in verse 27 today, Paul doesn't just tell the folks in Corinth, you are somewhat kind of maybe just a little bit like the body of Christ. He says, you are the body of Christ. And here at East Chestnut, we are a local manifestation of this global reality. I invite you to take out your bulletin now. Hold it in front of you. And just, first of all, take a look at all those wonderful folks in our church. And then read those words. We are the body of Christ. And then I want you, your eye, to move from that picture around our congregation. What love, what new caring might be released when we finally believe that these words, we are the body of Christ, are really true. I invite you now to turn to your neighbor and to say to them, we are the body of Christ. You know, I used to be envious of Thomas and Mary Magdalene and Peter. Because after the resurrection, they actually had the opportunity to reach out and to touch Jesus and to hold his hand. But what we are saying here this morning is that if we believe this is really true, we are the living body of Christ. What this means is that when we reach out to touch each other, my brother Clayton, I am touching the body of Christ. And when I reach out to touch Anna, I'm touching a body, the living body of Christ. Paul also makes a special point, beginning in verse 14, of saying that there is no person, no body, no part of the body of Christ who is not needed. I once saw a program that talked about what happens to a human body when a big toe is missing. Do you know what? You entirely lose your sense of balance. So we might think that a big toe has no importance, but we couldn't walk down the road without it. In the same way, whether you are a nose or a pinky in the body of Christ, all of you and all of us are needed for the body of Christ to function well. This is because the Holy Spirit gives all of us gifts that are absolutely essential 
for the well-being of East Chestnut and our mission to the world. In verses 6 and 11, we learn that the Holy Spirit activates gifts in everyone. I love that word. Activates gifts in everyone. And then verses 8 and 28 list some of these gifts. Teaching, preaching, healing, discerning, leading, administering, and encouraging. Romans 12 adds the gifts of ministering, of giving, and of being compassionate. One Mennonite theologian once said that the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, no one is ungifted, no one not called, no one not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, theologians always put things negatively. How about if we flip that? Everyone is gifted. Isn't that more powerful? Everyone is gifted. Everyone is called. Everyone is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And do you see what this means? We need to be attentive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in one another's lives. We need to be willing to ask each other, what gift has the Holy Spirit given you to share? This is not a presumptuous question, because we know that the Holy Spirit has gifted everyone. We need to be more willing to ask each other, what gift, what beautiful gift has the Holy Spirit given you, and have you unwrapped it yet so that you can share it with us. This calling out of gifts, what I'm trying to say, is not just the work of our leadership discernment commission here at East Chestnut. It's our shared work. The work of discovering and affirming and activating each other's gifts belongs to all of us. And when we're all doing this work together, then the filling of church roles will happen quite smoothly and easily. Do you know how easy it is to ask someone if they would consider a role in our church? And then they come back and they say, you know, three people have told me that I'm gifted in that area. Do you know how easy it is for a yes to rise to the surface in that kind of situation. The other important thing is, I've seen this time and again as a pastor, is as each of us contributes our gifts to the body, I have seen that person begin to care and to love the body of Christ in a brand new way. We belong and we find meaning as we contribute our gifts to the body. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that a community that allows unused gifts to exist will perish because of them. Let's flip that and say that positively. A community which encourages everyone's gifts to be released will flourish with those 
gifts. May we be that kind of church. But friends, there's more. East Chestnut isn't just a mutual love society, flourishing just for each other within these four walls. The gospel always has a centrifugal force propelling us out into the world to others. We are called not just to be the body of Christ to each other, and we are. We are also called to be the body of Christ for the world. As Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And this is where the Beatitudes, you're wondering how I would get to them. This is where the Beatitudes come so beautifully into play. You know, back in the 90s, when I was starting to dust off my Bible, when I read the Beatitudes, I thought, well, Jesus is just giving me a to-do list. I'm a to-do list kind of guy. And so I, I thought, that's what this is. But the Beatitudes don't work very well as a to-do list. Be merciful, we can do that. Be a peacemaker, yes, but be mournful, be persecuted, be reviled. I, I felt completely stumped. How do you do this on purpose? And then in 2006, I had an experience that completely transformed my understanding. After Christian peacemaker team member Tom Fox was murdered in Iraq. His friends at the Christian Peacemaker Team office in Chicago called me and asked me to hold a memorial service for him where all of his beloved friends would gather together. I said yes, and then I immediately regretted it because I had no idea I felt unworthy. I had nothing to say at such a huge event, at such a tragic time. But then as I have experienced in my ministry again and again, the Holy Spirit came to me and in this situation guided me to read the Beatitudes at Tom Fox's memorial service. And so I did. And to his friends and his colleagues, to that part of the body of Christ, I said, Blessed are you when you mourn, for God will comfort you. Blessed are the meek, the vulnerable, and the gentle. You will inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you hunger for justice. You will be filled. Blessed are you when you work for peace. You will be called God's children. Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. God's kingdom belongs to you. At that service, I finally got it. 
In the Beatitudes, Jesus isn't prescribing a new set of rules for all of us to follow. He is describing what it will look like when we, his living and breathing body in the world, live and love in the midst of our broken and sin-sick reality. These Beatitudes are the gestures and expressions. They are the body language of the church. Living faithfully in the world. They are not our to-do list, but maybe we can call them our to-be list. Our to-be list, the be attitudes. Let me close this morning with a short story that Greg Henning shared with me last Thursday night. That was the night of the day that his mother-in-law had died that morning and that Paul Hostler had died that afternoon. We were on the phone, 10, 10.30 at night. I caught him before he was leaving. And Greg started reminiscing with me about a time last summer, in June. Some of you were there, when he and Paul were working side by side at the community meal. Who was there? Some of you were there. It was an interesting moment, Paul or Greg said, because he did not know Paul until then. And it was during that time of serving beside one another that they got to know each other as they served chicken and mashed potatoes. And Greg told me how deeply touched he was as he experienced Paul's joy and warmth and servant heart that evening. Now, it would be easy to say that these were just some people working together in a church basement, right? No. So much more. That evening, they were being the body of Christ for each other. And they, at the very same time, were being the body of Christ for our world. Thanks be to God.